RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Wednesday comes around quick. Wednesday morning at RCR is Legal Morning with our Legal Hub and our Legal Hub team, Katie Ashby Coppins and Nick Kearney with us. Hi, guys. Good to see you again, uh, hear you for the audience. And um, let me just describe Nick's situation. He's got a beanie on. He's got a hoodie on. And a but scarf. He's still, and a scarf. Okay. And the scarf. He's, he's really wrapped up warm there, but he still has the backdrop of some sort of Pacific Paradise beach behind him. So I'm having trouble with the juxtaposition. Yeah, I'm slightly oxymoronic tonight. This morning, aren't I? That, yes. That's that, that's that's the word. Yeah. But um, but at least it's consistent with the backdrop, anyway. Well, it's hard. I mean, it's hard coming back. I, uh, last week, um, I was in Dubai where it was forty-three degrees. I've come back to eight, so it's a it's a bit of a drop. Yeah. If you put that on a graph, it's a big yeah, drop. It's a big. And drop. Katie, uh, good to see you again too, Katie. Thanks, Paul. Hi there. As I say, never a dull moment in the law, and we've got four items to get through this morning, and we'll start with this, quite fresh, this news came out yesterday. Christian teacher loses registration after refusing to use trans students' pronouns. Loses registration? Who wants to pick that up? I'll start off. I mean, um, you know, I saw this. Morning, I think it was actually in the paper, so it is quite um, it is quite fresh. And to me, it doesn't matter whether the teacher was Christian or Hindu or Muslim or whatever; it makes no difference. And it doesn't matter to me either that the student, you know, was wanting uh, personal pronouns to be used uh, when being addressed. I mean, that that's not the issue. The issue to me here um, is the fact that we have a teacher who has a uh, religious belief that our law of this country and the Bill of Rights says should be upheld and protected through the freedom of religion. Um, and he uh, was not entitled to have his views taken into account whatsoever, um, you know, when he decided that, sorry, it's against my views, it's against my lifestyle and my upbringing to refer to you in a certain manner. Um, you know, there's no there's no mutual respect here and there's no mutual kind of uh, understanding of both sides of the law, so to speak. It seems as if and these sorts of decisions are all just going one way. Uh, and the way is that the, the, the school, a schoolboy here or a, you know, an inverted commas, I suppose, a minority. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's no there's no actually consideration from what I could establish just reading the Herald article of the teacher's. Uh, rights uh, as that that actually he's allowed not only allowed to have but as I said earlier, you know they're enshrined in law. He has freedom of religion, he has freedom of expression, and he should be allowed um, if those beliefs are so strong that they go against what uh, he's been you know told to address the student by. They should be they should be uh, if not upheld, they should be at least respected, and it doesn't seem at all uh, as if they were respected. Um, in fact, you know, this is uh, this is coming straight from the paper and, and I think straight from the decision. The teacher is entitled to his views and religious beliefs, but what we must do is consider where, whether he has insight and rehabilitative prospects that we could address. The tribunal said the only answer to that was no. So I just ask, you know, I mean, I'm not a religious person whatsoever, but this, this is not about religion. This is about someone's beliefs and rights being just completely disregarded as to who that person is. And and the tribunal saying that he needed rehabilitative prospects and didn't have any. Well, like, someone, like a struggle can, session. He needed well, can, a struggle can, session, can, like the Chinese used to do, well, give him I'm a struggle just, session. I'm just struggling to understand what rehabilitation he needed. Well, he needed to renounce his religious beliefs, probably, and they've decided that he can't do that. So that's the that's the no bit, right? Well, perhaps, but I mean, from what you know, again, what the newspaper article said, he behaved in quite a decent manner. He pulled the boy aside. They had a conversation privately and said, "Look, here's my beliefs. Um, I'm not sure that I can refer to you like you want me to, 
because you've transitioned from boy to girl. I don't accept that uh, with my strong Christian upbringing. And the boy, again, seemed to be quite um, honourable with all of that and said, well, uh, uh, okay, I, I respect that. Um, you know, um, you don't. You at least refer to me, you can refer to me by my male name, but could you please refer um, my, 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 you know, my non-personal pronoun? Um, but you can refer to me uh, as my um, my original name. I think you went from a girl to a boy, actually. So, you know, again, quite a bit of, I guess, compromise there, but the teacher refused to do uh, the second part of that, um, and it wasn't good enough. But, you know, again, the, the decision also said something along the lines of, uh, and this is, again, what I can't, I, I can't fathom, but um, uh, all students are entitled to feel that their school is a safe space where they are respected and valued. But what about the teacher? That's his employment. That's his place of employment. And last time I checked, uh, employment law, you know, said that, in fact, you had, uh, you know, you had rights uh, as well, and he's got rights under his, under the Bill of Rights to actually feel respected and valued and to have his freedoms um, respected as well. And teachers must not use their authority to, and I quote, undermine the personal identity of their learners or to inappropriately influence them. Well, you know, I, I thought the whole I thought the whole task of a teacher was to influence the student. Well, as I understood it from reading the story, he it was in the context of an explanation as to why he was, you know, relating to the student in a particular way. So, mm. you know, and that word safe, what does that mean? Well, it's, well, exactly. And how is it? Un, how is it unsafe? Um, I mean, I think the again the the Herald article went on to say that this boy, uh, girl, boy, whatever, faced significant harm, uh, the prospect of significant trauma or something. You know. Oh, here we go. Based, Where, where's based, the violin? Yeah. Let me get the based, violin out. Well, based on what this this teacher's attitude was, and and again, I just come back to the fact that you know that, that this. this this place, the school was this teacher's um, work environment. It was his place of employment. Um, he has rights under employment law, surely. He has also rights under the Bill of Rights to express his freedom of religion uh, and uh, and opinions as well. And none of those things appear to be, um, in these sorts of cases, given any consideration at all. And that's what worries me. Surely the teaching council, the teacher's council or whatever, um, they know all this, so he can... You can come back at them, right, and and have a go. I think he might have a yeah. I think it might be a, have to be a judicial review, probably, of their decision. I don't think he'd necessarily. So, so you can override the you're going to override those, you know, bottom lines that Nick mentioned that easily, can you, without any recall? Well, it's pretty hard because what they've actually found is that the conduct was serious misconduct, mm, mm. Um, and that's that's pretty. You know, on the scheme of uh, conduct that's not appropriate to serious misconduct, serious misconduct is, is, is certainly at the far extreme of conduct. Um, but just because someone says it's serious, like chewing gum might be serious to some, means nothing. No. Well, certainly, but um, here you've got a board, and this is outside of the school. This is the board that considers the person's registration. They need to be registered to be able to have a job as teacher. You've got the board saying that the behaviour which has been described um, uh, by Nick this afternoon, uh, sorry, this morning, is, um, you know, conduct that is serious. And that's, that's a, a scale or a weight far beyond the conduct. And it's really setting a scene, it's sending a very strong message that any other teacher that doesn't um, toe the line um will be facing uh, termination of their registration. It's incredible. It really is. It's nasty. It, 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 is a, it is a misuse of power, I would say. They're trying to destroy this guy. This guy and anyone, anyone further or anyone else um, that endeavours to um, fail to comply with uh, gender identity matters. They've drawn a line in the sand without question. Say again? This, they've drawn a line in the sand without question, yeah. And if this guy, if this teacher, you know, because of his 
And I don't think there's any doubt about his strong Christian beliefs. Uh, if, if, even if he couldn't hold those views, then um, a normal, you know, if you want to use that word, um, run-of-the-mill teacher without those strong beliefs has no chance. Because they really have no argument. It's a horrible position to put the young person in because they're going to regret that. Well, imagine being that kid. Growing up knowing you'd done that or been part of that. Ruined a person's career, someone who's trained all their life, gone to school themselves, gone and got educated, become a teacher. Um, Might have a family? No, possibly. Um, but, you know, somebody who's also you know, given their time and effort and and their career and their life to being a teacher and to have it unceremoniously ripped from them that is on exceed, the basis. That is exceedingly irresponsible of the adults involved to put this young person in that position. It's disgusting. It's it certainly incredible. Hmm. He's, probably suffered, he's probably suffered harm, and, and it's not a very safe thing for him to have gone through. Yeah, but to 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 sacrifice the young person on the altar as well, because that's, that's really that's what I mean. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, I mean, who the, are these the, people? It's the monstrous. Very, the very things that the teaching council was trying to protect, but to a person, supposedly a young person who doesn't have the wherewithal yet, you know, at adult level. I mean, that is, that's that's actually child abuse. Yeah, what, what, what also, um, you know, I guess frustrates me um, and, and uh, upsets me, I suppose, as well, is that on this panel, uh, on the tribunal, there was a, um, I think it said there was a, a lawyer uh, and two senior teachers, and uh, not one of them could actually see the lunacy in this and could actually issue or write or you know, give a dissenting judgment saying, actually, uh, this is going too far. We couldn't be doing this, you know. Well, then you might not get hired back. Well, I think you're on these panels, you're tribunals for a term of three years. But, yeah, I mean, you might do your three years and not get But re Really, what, I mean, if that's all you're doing, you're just turning up to get a paycheck and nodding your head. I mean, really, if that's what you're there for, then I think you need to take a look at yourself. Well, take a look at the last few years. Mm. People did a lot for the paycheck. Anyway, okay, so the repercussions, apart from someone like me having a blood pressure spike again, um, what do you think might happen here? Or is that just it? Suck it up, poor guy. Sorry. He actually made a good point. Um, it's not just this one teacher who's now affected. Uh, a whole lot of other teachers are going to see this and read this and go, well, I kind of find this stuff uncomfortable too. In fact, it might not be, you know, um, transgender stuff. It might be anything that some of their students are asking their teachers to to do, to address them by or whatever. I don't really want to do that. Um, you know, it's kind of, I don't think I'm being a good teacher doing that. Um, I, I need to stand up to my values. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's in the classroom or on the sports field. Uh, and, you know, as I say, uh, who's got all the power here? You know, the, the teacher or the student, it's it's really quite... Though there, there, seems to, there seems to be, and I'll use the word cult, cult around this particular, what do you call it, area, where, yeah, I mean, we saw what happened at Albert Park. We see the language of some of these social media people. Uh, you know, uh, it's a very aggressive, very abrasive, very hostile, yet it seems to have institutional support. This is where the rubber hits the road, this one. That's correct. Um, and certainly yeah. in defiance of many um, fundamental principles that I would have felt comfortable advising the teacher about um, as, as giving him a good chance uh, or good prospects of success in this case. Um, I find myself uh, looking at this decision um, and wondering whether or not it was more designed for precedential value um, to put the fear into other teachers um, as opposed to anything that's based in uh, sound legal construct. So it is, it's a fascinating case. And to see that this was behaviour um, that was rated at a level of serious misconduct Goodness gracious.
Well, I hope the, the poor chap is coping okay. I really do. Oh, it's a tragedy. It, 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 it's, you know, a, a loss of career. Yeah, it's such a price to pay. Massive. All the things, all the things that teachers have been through in the last two to three years, not just the mandates and the lockdowns and all that, but the, the pay stuff. They're, not, they're underpaid, obviously, clearly, and they're still going through a pay review with the government that's been going on about four years. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, they've not had an easy time, and now this, it's, um, it, it is. I agree. It's um, well, I wouldn't. And it really, it really moves the. Uh, re- sorry, it really alters the. The, the power um, or, or the seniority model, you know, it, it, it takes away yeah. a lot of, um, uh, it, it undermines a teacher's responsibility. Yeah, who's well. in charge? Who's in charge in the class now? Perhaps the furry in the corner. The furry. I hope they've got the little litter tray ready to go. Look, who knows? I, I find it remarkable. Yeah, I feel very sorry for the person. And maybe this could be um, a bit of a a red line for some people in the pref- profession. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm getting out before it's yeah. Too well, it, it, the the ed- people in the education environment, you know, you could argue that they keep coming for them. So, oh dear, perhaps perhaps that might be a line in the sand. And you know, at the time when we're screaming out for teachers, um, is this really? the kind of messaging that you want to do. I'm just going to undermine any authority you might have. Because when you've got these disciplinary bodies all sort of walking in this lockstep, there's no hope for anyone. Who's there? Forget it. <laughs> just ain't going to no. happen. You think and you've got happens. a case? You think it's um, logical, mm. normal? No, you haven't. You're dreaming. And you've seen this too with a lot of the um, the, the medical council nurses, um, or psychologists, a lot of the the councils, the professional board councils um, or the professional board disciplinary tribunals, um, yeah, they're making some pretty incredible decisions. The last three years has really given rise to some topsy-turvy outcomes. Toxic, I would have said. Okay, anything more to say about that, poor guy? Nope. All right, music industry sues Twitter. I saw this for what hundreds of millions, isn't it? Hundreds of millions. Two hundred and fifty million, I think, maybe US dollars. So a few more in New Zealand. Um, look, this is just—I um, I make the point for this case more so by way of comparison as well to the um, handing down in the sentence with uh, mega upload um, guys this week. So it's still not an area that's settled. Here we've got um, 17 music publishers representing some of the biggest article, uh, sorry, artists suing Twitter um, in a federal court in Tennessee, um, alleging countless infringement um, infringements of copies of music, millions of dollars of lost revenue by Twitter um, uh, playing their music, uh, and, and now it might be playing their movies given the extended um uh twitter time or recordings that are available on uh, now available on twitter but this is all um pre elon's purchase okay. um, and by the yeah. sound of it it looked like there was a lot of um work being done in order to reach a acceptable um acknowledgement um from twitter to the musicians and let's not it's not the musicians, it's their agents and their uh, companies that go between yeah. um, that are generally the ones that are losing money, not so much the artists. Um, and they, those negotiations look like they probably fell over uh, when Elon purchased. And so uh, now they're suing on the basis that um, they uh, would like some recovery and some acknowledgement for it. So, I mean, this is what... 2023 this is what almost 20 years on from um mega uploads case with kim.com new zealand that long jeez yeah it has um and just by way of comparison we've got two guys um really the technological experts of um the mega upload story um they 
received an awful lot of money um, in doing what they were doing. And in doing so, acknowledged that they ripped off a lot of copyright, breached a lot of that, and caused a lot of loss, uh, no doubt, to those um, that had uh, rights and ownership in their work um, or their agents did. And, you know, they've now just negotiated a two-and-a-half-year, I think, sentence um, on the promise of, you know, uh, snitching on him and, uh, yeah, reducing the sentence from about 10 years to about two-and-a-half each, I think. Ten but, years? Mm. Uh, <laughs> no one died? No, but, you know, just because they've got commercial interest doesn't mean that we shouldn't respect their feelings. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just thinking of, you know, people are, are going away for less than that for killing people. Mm. Even okay. two years in some cases. I stole someone intellectual property and, and they're talking to 10 years in jail. Uh, but it's more than that. You remember the fanfare when they when they busted the house with the helicopter, the FBI agents, the guns, the, 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 something out of a commando movie. You know? It was. And, yeah. and, and this is just, I, I remember thinking at the time, just basically for, Replied photocopiers. Mm, and, and I can imagine very three very pale computer geeks <laughs> sitting behind. Yeah. Um, their computers going, oh, I did nothing to see here. It feels like we've done the bidding of other people. Yeah. <laughs> <Big long pause>. <laughs> 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 well, you know, you talked about the raid, Nick. Come on, that was just so over the top. That was out of a Hollywood movie. That was for TV. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and there were certainly, um, you know, um, very big players in action there. Yeah, very and they're all connected. Correct. All the Hollywood producers yep. and film Correct. companies, all connected and connected politically too. Correct. And, and undoubtedly the US government was involved. Yeah. And John Key... He was the guy who let it happen, didn't he? Or he was the PM at the time. He knew it was coming, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty huge takedown um, for the scenario and the environment that they would have been walking into. Um, yeah. It was like hitting, you know, well, using a sledgehammer to hit an attack, I'd say. Sort of like the, the poor Christian teacher, bigger version of that, hammered. Um in terms of the loss to the um, copyright owners through Twitter, are we talking about Twitter actually putting up, you know, um, songs or compilations of songs or or soundtracks or whatever, or is this the incidental use by people making their own content and posting it? Do we know? Because um, it would probably be the latter, wouldn't it? Because I haven't, I haven't yeah. seen Twitter, you know, rolling out all the you know, greatest hits al albums and things like that. Uh, maybe it's there, but I haven't seen them, but I've seen plenty of homemade videos carrying soundtracks, bits of songs or whatever, you know, to go with their meme or their funny little video. That I'm not entirely clear hmm. on. It looks like it's a mixture of both. Okay. Um, and they've listed, I think, 1,700 songs Ooh. that have been breached. Have they given the titles? It'd be interesting to know what the popular ones are. <laughs> oh, so we can play them on the um, yeah, radio. We we could have the <laughs> we could have a, like a greatest hits of of copyright infringement on Twitter afternoon or something. Look, it sounds like music that people might be uploading. Um, I'm not sure if it's included in tweets. I think there's also a 25 second um, brawl. So anything under that 25 seconds is um, fee-free. Yeah, it's fee-free, I think. But look, there's also the suggestion that since um, Elon has uh, purchased Twitter, that there is um, a Twitter blue package um, yeah. that allows you to upload longer videos, yeah. um, which, you know, as moving into the longer um, segments, the videos, the um, documentaries and the talkback we're saying, seeing with, say, the Tucker Carlson show, um, perhaps they're going to see a lot more um, breaches there with people able to put up material that runs for longer. And also, if you take Tucker as an example, I mean, his first show 
had more viewers than the entire cable news or cable watching audience in the US for one program. So mm. it could be that one program is bigger than anything that has ever come along before. So we're, mm. we're at that sort of scale. And okay. that was what, 176 million, I think, in the first hour. Yeah. Um, and then you compare that to the number of people that sit there and watch um, the Olympics opening ceremony at it wasn't even an 18th of that. No, that's right. So that's where it's uh, gone. So I can see that. But, you know, the argument isn't the argument, and I know it's copyright, it's copyright, but isn't the argument, were they, was, was anyone going to buy that anyway? Probably not. But I know you can't sort of go on that. But in the end, you know, can you reasonably expect a purchase lost by playing, you know, this or that? I don't even know how they begin to quantify that. Um, it's it's. You should be happy that their, their tune is out there. They should be happy that, with it. That's what I was thinking. It's it's free publicity. Yeah, for the artist. Anyway, so two fifty million. I guess they know that um, Elon's good for it. Yeah, and look, I mean, he, when he bought Twitter, he would be, I think, purchasing any future action case or the like arising out of. Any oh, what did he big Nick? Would he would he have purchased yes. any? Well, he would have done because the company Twitter is the one that. Yeah, he, he would have assumed. Well, I mean, if it's a contractual matter, he may have assumed liability for for any court. Um, you know, there may mm. have been a warranty, a warranty that um that that the the vendor, I suppose, the old owners of Twitter, um, um, you know, undertook or or something to to indemnify him should that court case go ahead who knows it's a contractual matter but um it's not surprising that um you know it can go either way really i mean uh elon could buy that liability um and take it off the purchase price i suppose and say well if i'm sued i might lose 250 mil so i'm paying that less to use vendor or the vendor could just decide that it's um you know because the cause of action accrued while they own the business that they they carry on with the case but it's more than likely the latter and i think um, sorry, the former, I should say, uh, and that's because I think um, that they're coming for Elon Musk here, aren't they? I mean, from from all, from all avenues. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. In the end, it's probably the same people as the, had a go, had Kim a go at Kim Doc. Yeah, same yeah. people. Yeah, well, it is. It's it's, it's big. Um, it's big uh, entertainment, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Okay, and you made a good point about those durations, Katie, because it's now a direct competitor to YouTube, Twitter, isn't it, or about to be? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think it's going to be a um, direct um, indirect competition with a lot of things. Like everyone's turning to um, the opportunity to watch uh, things at their convenience. Uh, and I think that people are certainly turning away from mainstream media formats in their, in their drove. So it's just feeding into that, isn't it? Yeah. All right. We'll see what happens there. We touched on this, well, we more than touched on it last week, but we, we certainly talked about a diversion in relation to the person who uh, was charged with assaulting the older woman at Albert Park, and it came up, and I, I take it that still stands, that, that whoever that was received diversion for what was an assault charge. And so let's talk about diversion, if you know more about mm -hmm. it, and discharge without conviction. Do the two go hand in hand? No, they don't, but they are kind of similar in their effect. Um, so a discharge without conviction is something that's handed down by the judge, whereas diversion is something that is a scheme which is really agreed to with police. So one of the questions that came out of last week's chat was, oh, could you tell me the difference between, uh, could you tell me what diversion is? And so um, in the interests of um, keeping this as a legal show, Absolutely. So the ordinary process is a person will get charged, um, they'll go to court, they'll get disclosure, they'll liaise with the police, they'll prepare for court, um, the matter will be heard in court, and if they're found guilty of an offence, um, convicted and punished for um, the offence that they've been um, found guilty of. In that negotiation phase, um, there is the ability to work with the police to get what is called diversion. And that is a situation where you um, can, as a first-time offender uh, of a less serious charge, uh, who takes responsibility for their offending, can 
essentially enter into an arrangement with the, with the police where on a condition of their um, diversion, such as you know attending anger management course or something like that, they don't get a criminal conviction. Um, and uh, the, the purpose of it is, is to try and get them to not go into the system too quickly. Uh, you know, it's a slap on the hand. It will still be recorded on your record that you have had a diversion, um, but you will not get a conviction. So um, in the case of the gentleman uh, or, or the young man that punched the woman in the face, it's very interesting that such um, incredible an incredible assault that was filmed um, got diversion uh, because it seemed very much done with malice, anger and the like, but the um, young man might have entered into or did enter into an arrangement with the police and the police as a condition of that might have said, okay, uh, well, you have to do a um, anger management course or the like. Um, it is... Yeah, the police will consult um, the victim of any offending that they are considering um, for diversion. And uh, apparently the police will seriously consider the victim's views. Um, but the final decision on whether or not diversion will be granted is uh, with the police and uh, not with the victim. So this is uh, diversion very much in the early phases of the court process. Um, discharge without conviction is the one that the judge can grant and um, if a defendant's found guilty or if a defendant pleads guilty um, it, uh, in front of the judge, the judge can consider whether or not um, uh, in imposing the least restrictive outcome in the circumstances they can say, all right, yes, you were guilty, but in this case I'm not going to give you a conviction uh, for whatever reason the judge may feel. But again, not serious um, serious conviction or not serious charge, but very much the case of giving this person a chance. So you can't get diversion if you've had diversion before. You can't get diversion if you've been charged before. Similarly, discharge without conviction. You may be able to get a discharge without conviction if you've been received diversion before, but you probably won't. Uh, get discharged without, well, you certainly won't get discharged without conviction if you've received a charge, um, a successful charge for which you've been felt guilty before. We we would assume, would we, that if the victim protested against the diversion, that that would that would stop the diversion. Not necessarily, but particularly with the evidence that we're talking about here, it's pretty plain to see. I did find the outcome quite incredible, um, but. Not surprising in the circumstances, uh, and certainly when people first approached us about what their options were once the Posey Parker rally had happened, um, the suggestion that we made was should the police step in and actually actively um, charge these people that I wouldn't be surprised if they would be granted diversion, even if there is very good evidence for it. Um, and that just goes to the tone and attitude that the police had at the Posey Parker event. We don't know what um, evidence the police had or specific evidence they looked at. Um, we do know. We, 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 they, they, had, they had this video footage. Yeah, but was that video that they filmed or was provided no, by a third party? It provided by a third party, but um, as I understand it, the person who took that video submitted it to the police. And so the police always insist on having the author of the video um, confirm that they took it um, so that that then forms their ordinary package of evidence uh, right. for the purposes of taking the charge to court. A bit of a wet slap on the wrist with a wet bus ticket again, isn't it? I mean, we, we talked about that first up. Different yeah. situation, but the same sort of. Oh well, you know, she's she's she got over it, you know. <laughs> Look, it was a brutal assault, and my view is is that diversion and discharge without conviction, you know, are for situations, events that aren't serious. Like you won't get diversion or discharge without conviction if you've murdered something, but someone, but you know, 
intentionally violently assaulting them like we've got a male assault female um it was brutal it was not just once it wasn't an accident it was a number of very serious punches from a young man to an elderly woman it it's uh, Boy, know, what are you going to do, done these, done what are you gonna do these days? What are you going to do these intent. days? <laughs> yeah. Well, right. yeah, it just, you know. it's not surprising, um, but I i i think it's pretty incredible. that. Well, a lot of our listeners will be thinking right now, and I, I'm the one who can say these things, is that he's let off lightly because he was on the right side of the trans thing. I know who knows, but that's what people are thinking right now. Anyway, that, that, yeah, look. And same with the school. Well, I did the school fire the teacher. I think that the, the it, I don't even think that it got to that stage. Well, no, I could no, be I, wrong. I, I, okay, it's not the, the school. Registration the, board. The registration. I mean, the system that up the top that, you know, hmm. the, the people who can, who can drop kick you t- to the curb if they want. Um, there's no diversion there. <laughs> no, perhaps he should apply. Well, yeah. again, Paul, you know, we come back to you know, coming to school again. Um, you know, um, you will not upset my rights as a transgender um, student to be called uh, a certain pronoun and to be called a certain name. Well, that, that's fine. Well, what about the teacher? Well, you will not upset my rights uh, as a Christian to not do that. And then you've got the situation here. I'll call you those names, you know. You will protect my rights to, um, uh, to you know, uh, well, it is, uh, you don't have any right to assault anybody, but the, the, but the lady, the victim here, definitely has a, a positive uh, right not to be assaulted, you know. And, and what we've got here is we've got essentially what it seems, I guess on face value, we've got almost a, a, a the police um, saying that, well, he actually had a right to be there and to protest and almost... He didn't really have a right to punch you, but, you know, um, you can kind of see how it happened because he was so kind of wound up on the occasion. So, But but this is a situation where where plainly an elderly woman's rights not to be assaulted viciously completely trumped and uh, were, you know, uh, far more superior than, than this um, young offender's rights to, to receive diversion. But uh, we, 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 we just seem to get them all around the wrong way at the moment. Even with violence, this is the thing. You know, yeah. even violence is not enough to offset what I think is a bias. Anyway, mm. and it's it's a flipping around of the victim. You know, if you are trying to make draw comparisons to the first story, Paul, you know, who was the victim in the situation where, um, you know, the teacher and the 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 student. Um, were having opposing beliefs. You know, who's the victim here at, at Posey Parker Rally? Um, hmm. Okay, well, that certainly clarifies diversion slash discharge without conviction, so we've cleaned that up. Oh, I see the word tikanga again. That must be you, Nick. Uh, yeah, but it's, look, there's not much on that at the moment because the Supreme Court judgment has not come out on this case, but... Uh, only a few days ago, uh, the Supreme Court uh, heard an argument by um, some children that their father, um, who had passed away, owed a fiduciary duty to them. Uh, and a fiduciary duty is a duty of trust and confidence. Okay, So being the parent, he had a duty to them to uh, even be on the grave, look after them, and trust and confidence meant that he was, he meant to kind of protect them. What he'd done here is he'd uh, emotionally and um, sexually abused his children during their lifetimes. Um, in 2014, I think it was, so he was getting towards the end of his life, he put his assets into a trust, a house and some uh, investment funds, and the beneficiaries of that trust were not his children. So he eventually wrote his children out of his life completely, died a few years later. Uh, the children then went to the High Court and said, well, um, it's pretty tough when, uh, I've got to say, just go back, back a second, when you set up a trust like that and, uh, you know, you haven't, your assets are then owned by somebody else, trustees. So, you know, disgruntled family members often find it quite hard to attack the trust and say, well, you should have left something to me. So it is actually a way to avoid... Um, 
giving distributions to to children uh, at the time of your death through through a will. So it's it's one way of asset planning, I suppose. Um, anyway, this is what he did, and the children ran off to the high court and said he had a uh, fiduciary relationship uh, and uh, duty and confidence, trust and confidence towards us, and that must be upheld. Therefore, we should be able to be beneficiaries of the trust and get these assets. High court said yes, um, uh, absolutely, that the, the dad did owe his adult children fiduciary duties at the time he transferred his assets to his trust, not the time of his death, but at the time he transferred his assets to his trust. And the transfer of the assets to the trust uh, was in breach of those duties. Uh, the Court of Appeal disagreed and uh, reversed the High Court decision. So the children ran off to the Supreme Court and they argued um, that there was an inherent fiduciary relationship between parent and children and applied the analysis of a, Can a Canadian Supreme Court decision um, and, that, and which basically said that this inherent fiduciary relationship never ended um, and was always, uh, you know, was always existing. So um, that's that's what that's all about. We've only heard five days or a week or so ago, but amongst that, amongst that um, argument in the Supreme Court was um, the children put forward also that. Uh, the fact that there's a fiduciary relationship is uh, in line with the development of tikanga in um, Aotearoa, New Zealand, and that uh, the principles of tikanga as they relate to fiduciary relationships uh, should also apply here. And I didn't say what tikanga principles applied, um, tanga or, you know, some family one guardianship or something, kaitiakitanga, um, or I don't know, it could be, too, it could be a, a number, but it didn't didn't say. But they certainly, again, it's another example of um, of uh, I guess crafty lawyers, you know, using the decision in Alice to now argue that. Um, and I, again, I don't know whether these these children here were, were were Maori or European or whatever they were. I don't know. It doesn't say in the summary I'm reading. But again, uh, as I say, another example of. Um, concept of tikanga, Maori common law being inserted into a, uh, a an argument at Supreme Court level, and we'll just see what they say about it when it comes out. But apart apart from that, you know, even for uh, even for your listeners, is the concept of a fiduciary relationship between parents and children, and it hasn't really been hasn't really been adopted here in New Zealand. Um, as I say, the High Court said, "Yep, that's reasonable." The Court of Appeal said, "Not today, thanks," um, and they've now tried to. Uh, get it going again in the Supreme Court and using the Canadian um, jurisprudence to do so. So we'll see where it goes. Hmm. Yeah. What do you do? Uh, I mean, that that's horrible history, you know, and that's not nice. But in the end, what's yours is yours. <laughs> Hasn't it always been the principle? Yeah, I mean, there's actually a body of law um, that you have a moral duty to look after your dependents when you're writing a will, uh, you know, et cetera. So, at any um, age? Uh, no, sorry. You're uh, under a moral duty to your um, children when you're writing a will to kind of look after them to some degree. Right. And, you know, if you write them completely out of your will, uh, children can run off to the court and say, well, I should have got, you know, 30, 20, 30, 40%. I did all this stuff for my dad and my mum. I, you know, he was sick for 10 years. I looked after him every day and I did, and then bought him a house or her, whatever, whatever. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, those sort of principles will say, well, it was very unfair for your mum or dad not to leave you anything. We agree and we'll give you 30%. There was mm -hmm. a case some years ago where um, uh, a relatively wealthy person down in the Waikato uh, left all their assets to the SBCA and were taking quite a few million. And the children ran off and said that she she had a mother it was had a duty to um, leave some of that to us because that's kind of what parents should do to children. Um, and the the court in that instance disagreed because there was the, apparently the relationship between the parents and the mother was very fractured and there was no contact for twenty years for one of them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, there are some of those um, you know. Those um, principles around. In this particular case, uh, he decided that uh, he would set up a trust, and I suspect he did it that way to avoid 
having to write them out completely of his will. He probably got legal advice. That's a bit dangerous. It might be challenged and you might have to lose 30, 40%. So tipped up a trust makes everybody, some, some other people beneficiaries. And the only way to kind of get in there by these children now is to argue that there was a fiduciary relationship um, between them. Wow. Okay. Um, and how long does it take for that process to work through? to the Supreme Court? Well, I mean, that's a good question, Katie. We were just discussing that during the week, weren't we, about how long does it take the, uh, the court to issue a um, an appeal judgment? You we know, were. Yeah, yeah. Can yeah, it be, no, it's um, Can it be quite a while? Can it can take quite a while, obviously? My experience has been if it's getting close to a year, you can probably ask the court, but apparently it's not even kosher to ask the court. Um, and in some cases where we were getting very, uh, we, we were very long time waiting for a decision, uh, there was even an inquiry that I think went through the Law Society of all places. Um, yes. Is that because they've got too much on their plate or they just take their time? Um, who knows? I think it's probably like anything. Um, judges get a significant period of time um, granted to them for decision writing, um, and a lot of work goes into the programming. It's not just mm. that they have case after case after case. Um, I've got so no clue, so that's why I was asking. I don't, I don't know how it works. I think there's a time period set for interlocutory applications, uh, which uh, here applications inside a whole proceeding, um, but that makes sense because you don't want to have your um, your final hearing to resolve the dispute um, unnecessarily delayed by a, a slow judgment. Um, mm. But I'm not aware if any have been added, any timeframes have been added for final decisions. Um, I don't think there have been. To um, claim tikanga in the sort of the concept of it that we seem to understand, as we've talked about it on this program, does there have to be a history shown of this being a normal practice? Because if you're going back into history, you're going back into a completely different way of operating a society. The hierarchies are all different. Usually, you know, one person or one family owned everything, let's say, or had had uh, command of it. And, you know, apart from a few heirlooms, I mean, it's not as if they're passing down real estate or investment or shares or were they? I mean, if you're going to use that word, or is that now becoming a generic word applying to everything? Yeah, as I said, I mean, it, you know, usually, um, and, I, and I would, as I, I'm just reading um, kind of a, a case note or snippet of, of this Supreme Court argument, and it simply just says um, the development of the common law in this area includes tikanga, the appellant's submission, the children's submission, is that this development is consistent with the principles of tikanga. And it doesn't say which principles uh, they are. So we just don't know. Um, and we have to wait for the Supreme Court. And as I say, um, you know, there were numerous principles of um, that, that can be brought into tikanga. And, and, and tikanga is just simply the, the, the Maori way of doing things. And you've got to actually... Uh, introduce, well, is it Utu, is it Fanana Tanga, is it um, Kaitiati Tanga, is it something else? Um, and you've got to say it is this one for these reasons. Um, the, the, the case note doesn't say which one they tried to put forward or two or three they tried to put forward. So we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Um, but the other thing that point I was going to make was um, I, I read um, something else on this case in a, in a law uh, magazine that said there wasn't a huge amount of assets in this trust, in terms of value, so the trust might have had, uh, you know, assets, a house and the shares of, of just a little over a million dollars. So it might sound a lot to some of your listeners, but with there's four children involved, um, you know, um, it's, it's these days million dollars are just average house and auction, do you know what I mean? So, um, uh, well, if the Green Party involved, it's sort of about, about the bathroom, but, you know, because uh, I'll tax everything else. Oops, I shouldn't have gone there. But, um, but you know, uh, the interesting thing is that in the Supreme Court here, um, it was that the, the Supreme Court was argument or case was taken by Lady Deborah Chambers KC, and she's the wife of a former uh, High Court judge, Robert Chambers, who passed away some years ago, uh, one of her offsiders, um, and then uh, another barrister of a different chambers who's of, um, of uh, Te Reo, Maori origin, and he would have argued the tikanga part. So 
you've really got three pretty high-profile and expensive lawyers um, taking this case all the way to the Supreme Court um, over, in, over in a state. Uh, it's gone from High Court to the Court of Appeal now to the Supreme Court for an estate of of a million dollars. And I would I would I would hazard to think what these three lawyers' fees are for taking that that, um, that case to Supreme Court. That would wipe out some of that estate right there, right? Oh, a lot of it, yeah. Can we think of a ballpark based on a million, just so we kind of know? Quarter? Well, 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 I mean, High Court, Court of Appeal, Supreme Court, it's, I mean, I don't know. Um, I know King's Council or the old Queen's Council, they tend to charge, uh, I heard, you know, something some years ago, they're $5,000 a day in court. Because they're in court for ten hours, and they you know they charge it five hundred dollars an hour, whatever. So there's your five thousand dollars. And you know if, if this went for I don't know, let's say it went for three days, the argument two days. Um, well, there's ten thousand for one. You know the other would have got paid half that much each. So there's twenty thousand just just for the argument in the Supreme Court, let alone filing fee, let alone preparing the submissions, let alone doing the research, let alone everything else. So the the, the, the appeal on would be a hundred thousand plus that question 150 probably and do we know why the appeal court said no was that did the, was that not buying the tikanga part or is that something that's come up since uh, no look i don't know actually no mm. i don't know um and, and look if it's if it's of interest to your uh, listeners i could grab that court of appeal decision have a quick read of it and okay maybe next week yeah yeah all right well that's an interesting one as well i mean if you had the opportunity to get a great earner out of maybe some naive people who are still hurting over something and feel that they've been um, neglected in, in every way, uh, particularly by not being included in your father's estate after all he had done. Um, that's an opportunity, isn't it? <laughs> um, you know, the money's there. You know, if you can, I mean, someone's paying somewhere along the way. How would that be structured? The payment of that, surely they don't have it up front. Um, We're really drilling deep now. Yeah, it depends. I mean, these barristers have to go through instructing solicitors as well. Sometimes the solicitors will have to hold funds, so make sure that barristers are paid. Um, we don't do that. We instruct the barristers. We, we say you, that the barrister has to look directly to the client for their fees um, because we don't want to get embroiled in non-payment of fees and what have you. But I mean, Lady, Lady Deborah Chambers is, is noted for taking high-profile cases, and she, um, you know, would have seen an opportunity here to make, an, I guess, a name for herself and to say, well, actually, I've got, a, I've got an opportunity here to argue that that New Zealand should actually recognise this fiduciary relationship between parent and child. Um, I, I would be reluctant to suggest she's just done it for financial reasons, but she's reasonably well off, and so with her ex-late husband, and she's, but she's. Um, Pretty fierce, um, pretty fierce barrister, and um, you know doesn't doesn't get out of bed just for um, the ordinary right. case. Case, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Anything more to say about uh, what we've been talking about? And you've got um, you'll come back with uh, more information on that next week, Nick. Katie, anything more? No, I think that's all. Thank you so much. Never a dull moment, is it? Never. No. Certainly not at the moment. No, and there's probably more to come, right? <laughs> it certainly feels that way. Yeah, it doesn't stop. The train doesn't stop. That's our legal hub for Wednesday morning. We'll do it all again. Thank you to Katie Ashby-Coppins and Nick Kearney. See you guys next week. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Nick. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.